Christ, the Son of God, came to earth to redeem. He is Emmanuel. He is God with us. Sometimes you'll hear people say, Emmanuel means God is with us. There are a lot of names in the Old Testament that talk about God is. God is my judge. God is my Lord. Those kind of names that say something about God. But Emmanuel was something more than just a statement about God is with us. When they saw Jesus and they called his name Emmanuel, that baby that was there was God with us. And I'm so glad for the truth of who Jesus Christ is. Whenever we look through the Old Testament, we are pointed to Christ and to the coming of Christ. Over the past weeks, we have been in the book of Ruth, and I am reminded of so many connections between this story and the story of the birth of Christ. We know that Ruth is one of three ladies that are mentioned in the genealogy of Jesus in Matthew chapter 1. Usually the genealogies only mention the fathers and the list of the fathers. But Jesus' genealogy in Matthew 1 mentions three particularly uh, non-Jewish or non-Israelite women who are a part of the lineage of Christ. Ruth is one of those ladies. I'm also reminded that this story is taking place in the same location that the Christmas story takes place. This is taking place in the town of Bethlehem. It is taking place in the house of David. It is taking place in the same fields, perhaps, that those shepherds were watching in that night when the angels came and pronounced to them that there would be peace on earth. I'm reminded by the songs also this morning of one of my, what has become one of my favorite Christmas carols, That is, I heard the bells on Christmas Day. Now, like most Christmas carols, growing up, I didn't think much of this. When it just, you know, it was too too long and it was too too complicated. Most of us like the Christmas carols. We know one verse, uh, you know, we know one less verse of a Christmas carol than we do of most hymns that we sing. We know the first and the last. Um, With Christmas carols, we pretty much know the one. And so we sing it and we're ready to move on to the next one. To understand, I heard the bells on Christmas Day, you have to listen to all the verses. And then to know the story that took place behind that song. And it reminds me very much of the the condition and the day in which we live. Jesus Christ came to this earth to bring peace on earth. And yet we look around us and there is no peace on earth. There is no rest on earth. It seems like conflict is greater than it's ever been. Our nation seems to be divided. People are divided over so many issues. One of the terrible side effects of this pandemic and that we have gone through is not just the physical implications and the physical impact that it has had on us. It is the division and the conflict that it has created among even God's people. I know families that are divided over this and the, the uh, virus and how to respond to it. And so there's division and there's conflict. And I'm reminded as Henry Wadsworth Longfellow sat down on Christmas Day in 1863 to write the words to, I heard the bells on Christmas Day. Just a few years before, he's lost his wife in a tragic accident. 
He himself is burned and scarred terribly. If you've ever seen a picture of the poet, you see the, the whiskers that he wore. He did that to help cover the scars from the fire that his wife died in. His son has just returned from fighting for the Union in the Civil War. He's been wounded. They think he may be paralyzed for life. And he sits down, and as he hears not only the thinks of the cannon fire from the nearby battles that are taking place, he hears the bells of the churches that are pealing on Christmas Day. And he thinks of the song and the message of peace on earth, of rest. And he understands the contradiction between the two. It's a conflict between what we hope for and what we desire and what we look for and what we are wired to need in rest and in peace. And there's a contrast between that and the reality of this life. There are many, maybe even here this morning, when you're looking for some rest in your family, you're looking for some rest in your life, you're looking for some peace, and you haven't found it. And you're looking for some place to find provision and care. And everywhere you've looked, you have found nothing but emptiness. Longfellow sat down and he wrote the words and he wrote about hearing the bells. And he gets to the next to last verse and he says, Then in despair, I bowed my head. There is no peace on earth, I said. There's no rest on earth. For hate is strong. Do you ever feel that way? Do you ever look at our world and it seems like hatred is winning? It seems like hatred and unrest and violence and conflict has taken the day. For hate is strong and mocks the song of peace on earth, goodwill toward men. In our text in Ruth chapter 3, Naomi and Ruth have been at a place where they have needed rest, but they have not been able to find any. They have been provided for, but Ruth has had to go and had to labor and had to work hard to receive the the bounty and the blessings that Boaz have given to her. Back in chapter 1, Naomi has said to Ruth and to her sister-in-law Orpah, I can't provide you a husband to give you rest. Now, they're not talking about physical rest, and there's a number of rests that the Bible talks about. The Bible talks about physical rest. There are times when our bodies need physical rest to recover. There's eternal rest when we think about uh, eternity with God. But there's also two other kinds of rests. There are those who have never met Jesus Christ as their Savior, and they are troubled, and they are disturbed, and they are looking for things in this life to bring them peace and to bring them rest, and they try many things. Why do you think this world is constantly pushing the envelope of trying something more deviant and a little further and a little stronger, and they need substances to help them? And why? Because they're searching for peace, and they're searching for rest, and they're looking in things that will never find it. And they try something else, and they try something else, and they think this will satisfy. And they cannot find it, and they keep pressing on. They are looking for spiritual rest. And what does Jesus say? Jesus says, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you what? Say it with me. Rest. That is what Jesus offers. And then there is also an active rest for the believer. 
It is a daily rest that we are to enter into. To rest in the fact that of what the work that Jesus Christ has done for us. And we can rest in that and we can find peace. And unfortunately, there are many people who have found that spiritual rest. They have ceased their labors trying to earn their salvation and trying to earn and work to, pr- to seek God's approval. And yet in their Christian life, they have not been settled and they are facing storms and they are facing trials and they are facing fears and anxieties because they are troubled. I think many times of what Jesus said to Martha. Do you remember what he said to Martha? Martha, Martha, you are troubled about many things. I want you to see the truth in this passage this morning. It's an amazing story and there's a lot of, there's a lot of things woven into it from their culture. But in verse 1, Naomi, her mother-in-law, Ruth's mother-in-law, said unto her, My daughter, shall I not seek rest for thee, that it may be well with thee? I want to pause right there and remind you, in chapter 1, when she said, I can't find rest for you, Naomi's concern was about her family line continuing. Naomi's concern was, I want to have children and grandchildren, and I want to see this continue. She was not really concerned about her daughters-in-law. She was more concerned about what she wanted, and when she couldn't have it, she said, I'm bitter and I'm empty. But now, she says, I can seek rest for you so that it may be well with you. Is not Boaz of our kindred with whose maidens thou wast? Behold, he went with barley tonight in the threshing floor. The families of Bethlehem would share the threshing floor. And when they finished their barley harvest, they would bring the harvest there to winnow out the the chaff and to bring it down to just just the wheat. Wash thyself, therefore, and anoint thee, and put thy raiment upon thee, and get thee down to the floor. But make not thyself known unto the man until he shall have done eating and drinking. And it shall be when he lies down that you shall mark the place where he shall lie. And you go in, uncover his feet, and lay thee down. And he will tell you, tell thee what thou shalt do. And Ruth, she, said to her, Naomi, all that you say unto me, I will do. Now this is an interesting story. And we think about (laughs) the... The idea of Christmas time and what is, what is this strange story of Ruth going down to the threshing floor and uncovering Boaz's feet and laying down beside his feet. As we look at this, we are reminded of the faith of Ruth. We've already seen in chapter 2 and in back in chapter 1 the expression of her faith through her words and the expression of her faith through the witness to those around her and the expression of her faith through the work that she did in the field. She was trusting in God. And Boaz would even say to her, You have come to trust and rest under the wings of the Almighty, of the wings of the God of Israel. And we know that faith. Now she is acting on that same faith as she follows her mother-in-law's advice. We could, talk about the, we could talk about the request of faith that she makes. She goes to Boaz and she is asking him, in fact she says to him, you are, you are one who can be my redeemer. She is asking him to follow the, the obligation and even the opportunity that God has given to him to be the redeemer of part of his family. You see, everybody else in Bethlehem is looking at Ruth and they're constantly calling her the Moabitess and Ruth of Moab. To them, she's simply a foreigner. 
but to Boaz, she is family. And I, I thank God for the day that when I was an enemy of God's, I was a foreigner from the commonwealth of, of Israel, that God brought me into his family. He brought me into his family, and he no longer looks at me as one who is an outcast, and he no longer looks at me as one who is foreign to him. He no longer looks at me as one who is an enemy. He has welcomed me into his family. That's how Boaz looks at Ruth, and so she comes with this request. We could talk about the risk of faith. This is an interesting story, and some have tried to read inappropriate things into this this action that she takes as she dresses and she goes and she watches to see where he's going to lie. He lies at the end of a pile of, of barley, and she goes and she uncovers his feet and she lies down at his feet. And there have been those who, as Boaz could have, have completely misunderstood what she was doing, that she was doing something inappropriate. But we know what the Bible says about Naomi. Number one, Naomi is a godly woman who would never have encouraged her daughter-in-law to do something inappropriate. And we know that Ruth is a virtuous woman in this text. In fact, Boaz says, we all know that you are a virtuous My people know that you are a virtuous woman. So Ruth is not doing something inappropriate. Boaz's response, Boaz would never have responded positively. He is a righteous man. He would never have responded to something inappropriate. But what is this risk that she is taking? Faith takes risks. Faith says, I will risk being misunderstood. I will risk others thinking poorly of me. And she goes and she lays down and she uncovers his feet. Now in the middle of the night... Something stirs Boaz, a a bad dream, or something startles him. Maybe he hears a strange sound, and he wakes up. Now, I don't know what what you would have done, but if I had been in Boaz's place, there would have been more than just mild questions going on. But Boaz wakes up, and after being scared out of his sleep, he looks down at his feet, and he realizes somebody's laying at his feet. His feet have been uncovered. Now, that might, some, of that, that some of us, that would have startled us. That's probably what woke him up to start with. And he wakes up and he realizes someone is lying at his feet. They've uncovered his feet. And he says, who are you? And she says, I am Ruth, your handmaiden. You are the one who has the right to redeem me. And so she requests and she asks him to redeem her. He knows exactly what she's asking. She knows somewhat of what she is asking. And as Naomi says to her, you just do what he tells you to do. As we look at this, the theme of this story, the theme of this chapter in this story is one of rest. It starts in the very first verse when Naomi says, My daughter, shall I not seek rest for thee? Boaz lays down to rest and his rest is disturbed. And then we see in the end of the chapter the rest that, that Ruth enters into because of what she knows is going to take place. I want you to see three truths in this passage this morning very quickly. I want you to see, first of all, that we can have rest. This morning, you may be disturbed by the circumstances that you are going through. You may be unrested. You may be fearful. You may be anxious about all that's going on. And there are a lot of things in our lives and in this world that can cause us to have unrest. 
But how can we have rest? First of all, we have rest because we trust in the plan that God has given. Naomi is not manipulating things. Naomi is not trying to work things. She's not being a matchmaker. She is in a sense, but she is following the plan that God had given to the people of Israel. That if a husband died so that the line could be carried on, if the father died, or husband died with not leaving any children, that there would be someone within the family, a kinsman redeemer, who would step in and who would, if qualified and willing and able, would take that wife into his family and carry on the, the line. You remember the story that Jesus told when the Sadducees came to him and asked him about the, the lady who married a brother and the husband died, and so then she married the second brother and the third brother and the fourth brother, and whose wife will she be? My question has never been whose wife will she be in the resurrection. My question is why did husband number three even marry her to start with? I mean, after two or three husbands die, you start getting a little suspicious. But they did that because of the Leveret Law. And it was God's plan so that his people would be provided for, so that there would not be widows, so there would not be orphans, and they would be provided for. And she comes and she requests, and that is the plan of God. That is what Naomi is trusting in. That is what Ruth is trusting in. That faith that there is a plan. I want you to know this morning that there is a plan for our redemption. That Boaz, the kinsman redeemer, points us to. He points us to Christ. He points us to the one who is our redeemer. And the salvation and the rest that we find in Christ. That's the plan. God's plan precedes the birth of Christ. A number of years ago, I went to a Christmas program and I, I, I want to be nice about this, and I hope not, you know, not be offensive about it, but there was a whole lot of bad theology in that Christmas program. One of the primary things was that it was the night before Christmas, and Jesus is in heaven getting ready to go to earth on Christmas Eve. Now, I want you to understand that Jesus was in the womb of Mary when he was conceived in the womb of Mary. Because that child that was born in her, conceived in her, the angel said, was the Holy One. So there are some problems with that. I want you to know that God's plan for salvation and redemption didn't start when the baby was born in the manger. God's plan for your salvation and for my salvation began before the foundation of the world. Revelation says that Christ was the Lamb who was slain before the foundation of the world. Before the first sin was ever committed in the garden, before the first sinner was ever in need of salvation, there was already a provided sacrifice in the person of Jesus Christ. God's eternal plan of redemption was already laid out and already prepared for Adam's salvation and for our salvation. And so the plan of salvation, the plan of redemption was already there. I'm glad that God's plan in our lives, though, doesn't stop when we get saved. I'm glad that God is still at work. Paul says to the Philippians, He who began a good work in you will continue it until the day of redemption. God, what God starts, God will finish. What begins in grace will end in glory. 
And that is the work that God is doing in us. And so I can be at rest because I trust the plan of God. Now, some people will say God's got a wonderful plan for your life. God does have a wonderful plan for your life and for my life. But the only problem is is that God's definition of wonderful isn't always the same as mine. If I think everything's always going to be wonderful and pleasant and everything's going to go well, let me tell you that just over the past few weeks, it hadn't been wonderful and well. But I'm glad that even with all that has taken place, I'm glad that I've seen the hand of God. And it does not change what God is doing in my life. In fact, it is a part of what God is doing in my life. That's the plan. But we also rest not just merely in some sterile plan, some wonderful divine plan. We rest in the person. As she comes to Boaz, she says to him, You are, verse 9, You are a near kinsman. You are one who can redeem me, is what she is saying. There is a person, Boaz, could have taken her intentions the wrong way. What she did could have been misconceived. She could have given the wrong impression, and Boaz might have said, Hey, um, I'm not that kind of man. You get out of here. Boaz could have been a bad person and said, hey, I am that kind of man. But God in his providence has brought together not merely just a man who is qualified to be her kinsman redeemer, but one who is willing to be her kinsman redeemer, one who, is, who is, chooses to be her kinsman redeemer, one who will look at this and understand exactly what she is requesting. She is requesting for him to follow God's law. She is requesting for him to act according to that plan of God. And I am grateful that when I come to Christ, Christ is not only qualified to be my kinsman redeemer, Christ is not only able to be my kinsman redeemer, Christ is willing to be my kinsman redeemer. He is willing to redeem Come unto me, all ye that labor, and I will give you rest. Come to me. Aren't you glad? The law says, go and do. Christ says, come and receive. That is exactly the the message that we see in Boaz that points us to the descendant of Boaz in Jesus Christ. You see, we know where this is headed because Boaz and Ruth are going to have a child. Spoiler alert, just in case you haven't read the, read the book ahead. They're going to have a little baby by the name of Obed. Obed's going to have a son by the name of Jesse. Jesse's going to have several sons, but he's going to have a youngest son by the name of David. And it is through David's line, both through Joseph and Mary, that Jesus is going to be born. Let me tell you that there is a greater, as great a man as Boaz was, we have someone greater. As wonderful and immoral as a person as Boaz was, he is not the perfect redeemer that Jesus Christ is. And when we rejoice that Christ is born, when we rejoice that Jesus came to this earth, when we rejoice that God was manifest in the flesh, 
seen of angels, justified in the spirits, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in this world, and received up into glory. When we rejoice and we celebrate in that truth, we are celebrating the person that Jesus is, that the person that God has given to us for our rest, that he is the one in whom we rest. Ruth could rest. Ruth could, didn't have to work in the field anymore. Ruth didn't have to wonder where everything was going to come from. Ruth didn't have to worry about where her next meal was going to come from. She could rest in Boaz. And I want you to know this morning that no matter what's going on in my life, I can rest in Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter where you are. It doesn't matter what your circumstances. It doesn't matter if you're in a hospital room. It doesn't matter if you're sitting in a place financially where you wonder where your next meal is going to come from. It doesn't matter if you're in a situation with your family and you don't understand what's going to take place. Christ is our rest. And He is the person in whom we rest. He is not just a mere baby in a manger. He is our Redeemer who came so that we could come to him and be at rest. Her trust not only in a plan and in a person, but I want you to see this one last thought this morning. We rest because we have a promise. Naomi, or Ruth rather, prepares to go back. In verse 11, I want you to see these words. Boaz says to Ruth, And now, my daughter, fear not I will do to you all that thou requirest. What a promise. Ruth doesn't doesn't know what Boaz is going to do. There's hope. There's risk. Faith always has an element of risk to it. When, When Peter steps out of the boat during the storm and says, Jesus, let me walk to you, there's some risk in the step of faith. There's a risk that Naomi Naomi and Ruth are taking here. But as she makes this request, as she takes this risk, Boaz says to her, fear not. Do you remember what happens in the field nearby about a thousand or more years later? When the shepherds see the angels, what are the first words that the angels say to the shepherds? Fear not. For behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a what? A Savior, which is Christ the Lord. That pronouncement, go through the Scriptures sometimes and look at the pronouncements of fear not, be not afraid. He says, fear not, I will do all that you ask. But he also knows that when she gets home, Naomi's going to have questions. You see, Ruth can look at Boaz, and even in the dark, and she can't maybe see his face, she hears his voice. Boy, what a wonderful truth there for us, even when we can't see and feel like we are separated from the face of God. We have his word. He has spoken truth to us. She hears his voice. She knows what he has promised But Naomi hasn't had that experience, and so Boaz says, here's what I want you to do. Give me the veil that you're wrapped in. This is not some simple small cloth. This is a large cloth that she would have wrapped herself up in. And he says, give it to me. And he 
goes to where they've just freshly winnowed the wheat, the barley. And he gives her what is the equivalent, they say, of two weeks' worth of food. Why does he do that? Well, first of all, he wants to provide for Ruth. He wants Ruth to know, I'm going to do what you've asked. And while I'm working on it, I don't want you to have to be worrying about being out in the field. I don't want you to have to worry about any food. I want you to know that your provision has been taken care of. How many times has God provided for us? How many times has God met our needs? And then the next need comes along, and what's the first thing that happens to us? Fear starts rising up in our hearts. And it's then that we need to hear the voice of our comforter, the Holy Spirit, We need to hear the promise. We need to hear the one that is represented in this this barley that is given to her, this this down payment of her, this earnest of her expectation, as the Holy Spirit is called in the New Testament. And he speaks peace to us. And he says, don't be afraid. Your needs will be met. You will be taken care of. There's someone here this morning, I believe with all of my heart, that needs to hear the Holy Spirit speak to your heart those words of peace that fear not. I've got it under control. I'm going to do all that I'm saying I'm going to do. Ruth takes this back to Naomi. And as she comes to the house, Naomi says to her, Who are you? Who are you? It's not because Naomi couldn't tell who Ruth was. She's asking a question about her condition. Are you still Ruth the Moabitess? Or are you the wife-to-be of Boaz? And Ruth shows her who she is. Ruth shows her all that Boaz has given to her. And I love how this story ends, or this chapter of the story, with this promise. Look in verse 18. Then said she, sit still. You want to talk about rest? Just sit quiet. Just sit still. You don't have anything else to do. All you have done is thrown yourself on the mercy of the Redeemer. All that you have done is thrown yourself in His and trusted under Him. You've said to Him, cover me with your skirt. That word that she says, cover me with your skirt, is the same word as wings. And Ruth is reminding Boaz of the promise, the blessing that he gave in chapter 2. Do you remember it? He says to her, you have come to trust under the wings of the God of Israel. And she lays herself at his feet. She humbles herself. She puts herself in a place of humility. And she says, cover me with your wings. Cover me with the hem of your garments. And she says, Naomi says, just sit still. Sit still. You can rest now. Why? For the man will not be in rest until he has finished the thing this day. Some have tried to understand what, what did Boaz mean by this, this barley. Clearly, Naomi understood exactly what he meant. Exactly what he meant. Naomi knew that Boaz was saying, What I have said, I will do. What I have started, I will finish. And I'm thankful for the promise of God that we have, that earnest of the Spirit that says, what I have started, 
I will finish. The work I have begun, I will complete. You can be at rest because God, Christ, our Redeemer, will not stop until it is taken care of. And I want you to know this morning, for our salvation, the work is already completed and done. When Jesus was hanging on the cross, what are the words that he cried? It is finished. The work was completed. Hebrews tells us that when he had by himself purged our sins, he sat down. Why did he sit down? Because the work was done. Nothing else needs to be done for your salvation or for my salvation. All we do is simply believe and trust. We repent of our sins and we trust in Jesus Christ as our Redeemer, as our Savior. But I also want you to know that we have the promises of God. Even after we are saved, that we can daily rest in Him. That no matter what's taken place in our life, we can find our rest in Jesus. Because He has given us the promise. I will do, I will do all that you've asked. Think about the promises where Jesus says, I'll give you what you need. Lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. There may be times in your life and my life when we do not feel like those promises are true. I do not base my rest on feelings. I rest my faith, find my rest in faith of what God has said He will do. Longfellow sat and he wrote those words and he said, In despair, I bowed my head. There is no peace. On earth, I said. But then the next verse says, Then pealed the bells more loud and deep. God is not dead, nor doth he sleep. Naomi said, He's not going to rest until he takes care of the situation. I'm glad for what the psalmist said. The psalmist said, He that keepeth Israel shall neither slumber nor sleep. I can be at rest because God is never at rest. God rested on the seventh day after creation. But God is active. God is at work in this world. And God is at work in your life and in my life. And I can lay my head on my pillow at night and I can not only get physical rest, but I can have spiritual rest, I can have emotional rest, I can have the active rest of being obedient to God because I know that God is at work. He is not dead, nor doth he sleep. The wrong shall fail, the right prevail. With peace on earth, good will to men. This morning, if you have never found your rest in the work of Jesus Christ for salvation, maybe you have been trying to earn your salvation. You thought that maybe joining the church, doing good works, doing good deeds, that that would somehow bring you rest, and you are still not settled and at rest in your heart. And I'll tell you why. Because you can never do enough to earn grace. And if you could, it would no longer be grace. 
And this morning, maybe you just need to step out from where you are and come down and find your rest in Jesus. Quit trying to earn God's approval. Quit trying to earn salvation and find your rest in Jesus. There may be many of us this morning that the things in our life, the circumstances in our life, the events in our life have caused us to not be at rest. We are unsettled. We are without peace. We are anxious. We are fearful. We are scared of the things around us. We are being ruled by fear. And Jesus calls us to find our rest in Him. Maybe this morning you need to come during the invitation and just simply let go. Ruth laid down at Boaz's feet. Here's what I need you to do. I'll do it. Maybe this morning you need to just claim the promises of God that says, I will do it. And find rest. Father, thank you that you are our rest. We can rest because you will not until the work is done. Father, my heart is burdened for those that I have talked to this week, some even this morning. Lord, their minds are disturbed. Their hearts are disturbed. There is no peace. Father, may they find that peace in you this morning. Whatever the situation, whatever the need in their life, may they find that